to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com i am excited to welcome back manscaped as one of our sponsors this week don't let the name fool you these products work well with all genders and genitals go to manscaped.com now for 20 percent off and free shipping with the code s and s try out the manscaped performance package 4.0 Inside, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver genital deodorant, and for that little extra je ne sais quoi, the crop reviver toner, plus two free gifts, performance boxer briefs, and the shed travel bag. I'm a big fan personally of trimmed. I find it a lot better and easier than shaving old school and cheaper and less painful than waxing and lasering. It's so quick and easy, and the trimmers have these great light features attached so you can see better while you're trimming. Get creative this fall and start sculpting those pumpkins and skulls into your pubic hair with that 20% off and free shipping with the discount code S&S at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code S-A-N-D-S at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Thank you, Manscaped. And trimmed or not, if you've tuned in before, you know I love my Satisfier tools and vibrators. This episode is sponsored in part by Satisfier. Satisfier is offering you listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. In this episode, we are always talking about ways to practice better self-care and self-esteem uh, and all of that and just better mental health and self-care overall. And while Satisfier is obviously not the same as a medication, we talked about other ways that, you know, you can really practice and see what your kind of desire levels are and how you can kind of get better in touch with yourself, uh, medication or not. And so honestly, I've, I've been in this field over 10 years and these devices have really changed the game for me uh, in terms of the pleasure they provide. I've learned new things about myself, what I like, what my body is capable of. And Satisfier makes really beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting edge technology at pretty affordable prices. Their new line of products is Bluetooth enabled and pairs with their Satisfier Connect app. So you can connect your device to your Android, Apple, and iWatch to control it yourself or have someone else control your device, check your battery life, and a lot more. My new favorite is called the Dual Pulse, Dual Pleasure, excuse me, which features internal stimulation and air pulse technology, which is like that suckling feeling. If you haven't tried it yet, you must. Satisfier again is offering listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for one of your new favorite, hopefully new favorite devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use code S&S30 for 30% off. Now back to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Dr. Josephine McNary. She is a board-certified general psychiatrist and founder of Cal Psychiatry, where she and her team specialize in medication management with a particular interest in the use of complementary medicine for mood and anxiety disorders. Josephine is also the host of Mind Stories, a fascinating podcast focused on unraveling the many forms of psychological therapy 
therapeutic intervention. In the show, she and her expert guests cover medication management, established and alternative therapies, and women's mental health. Cal Psychiatry has nine locations throughout California. Wow, amazing. Okay, first, some basics. When is it a good idea to go to a psychiatrist? (laughs) That is actually a hard question because there's a few different answers to that question. My first instinct is when you think you might need to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's, it's interesting. People have this assumption if they see a psychiatrist, then they will be placed on medication. And that's not always true. You know, I see a lot of people who are not sure about if they want to be on medications, but they just want to know what their options could be if that they decide right. to go down that road. And so a lot of my job is just educating people about, okay, these are your symptoms. These are some interventions through medication, psychopharmacologically, that we could maybe suggest that could be helpful to you. We go over yeah. the risks and the benefits of it and decide if it's something that they want. Oftentimes, patients decide that they don't want to start medication, but at least they know what their options are in the future if that's something that they decide to pursue. So that's one one way. People just say, you know, I think I should probably talk to a psychiatrist. Well, there there is this narrative around it like that if you go in someone's going to hold you down and like force you to take medication this is not a you know old school inpatient mental health hospital it's you know going to like you said figure out the options and I think people are afraid to say no to especially when there's this like power dynamic of doctor and patient so it's it's good to hear that that's how you practice and I hope that all psychiatrists practice that way right yeah I see it as this team approach and I and tell yeah. people if I try to, you know, convince you to take a medication without you being fully on board, it's just not going to work. And so, you know, there's a lot of um, kind of in it and it kind of pushback in terms of subconsciously, you know, in terms of there's some side effects that people sometimes have to deal with in the very beginning, and you have to be kind of fully on board with it in order to kind of move through those to get to the kind of the part of the medication that could be really helpful. Um, But I realized I didn't answer your other question, uh, your your main question, which is, you know, why would someone go to a psychiatrist? Um, Another way, another very common way that patients come to me is through their therapist. So they've been, you know, they haven't been wanting to focus on medication for a long time. They're focusing, wanting to focus on therapy, and they've maybe done that for years or months. Um, And the therapist is feeling as if they're really not moving forward in therapy due to things like depression or anxiety. And they have a sense, the therapist has a sense that their client might do better um, and might benefit from medication. And so I actually really love when I um, see patients through that route, um, because it's already someone that they trust and know identifies them as someone who might really benefit from this intervention. Um, and so it's just, it, it makes it easier in some ways because people already come in saying, you know, I, I think I do want to try this, but I've tried the therapy route. I still want to try the therapy route. And I, I think my therapy, I'll be able to go further with therapy if I somehow find a way to, you know, decrease this anxiety that I've been experiencing. Right. And I mean, what is the the process then, I guess, of finding the right medication? Because I know that's why a lot of my clients have been resistant is like, well, what if I don't find the right thing? What if it doesn't work? And then I've invested all this time and energy like it's a it's a process for some people. For other people, it's pretty easy. And so I think 
Yeah. It, it is an experiment because if you, let's say you're somebody who has never been on medication before, um, you know, you have to approach it as saying, you know, I don't know exactly if this is going to be the right medication for me, but it seems like the best choice um, and something mm-hmm. to try. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess what I, what I say is, you know, you don't know unless you try it. Right. And if it's right. something that you're open to, I mean, I fully respect people who say, I never want to go the medication route, then I respect that. Um, and they probably wouldn't walk through my door because they're probably not interested in the interventions that I might suggest. Right. Um, and so, I mean, there are people who have, you know, who do very well. We start them on med- a medication. It's a fairly quick resolution of symptoms or improvement of symptoms, limited side effects. Great. There are other people who have tried multiple medications, have had a lot of side effects, haven't really had, you know, complete resolution of symptoms in the way that they want. And that's when it gets a little bit trickier. Um, and so the goal of seeing a psychiatrist is to because a lot of people get these medications through their primary care doctor. Most psychiatric medications are actually prescribed through primary care doctors. Um, The role of the specialist is really to say, okay, here are our options. We cannot tell exactly for sure how you're going to respond or what your side effects are going to be, but this is our best guess. And this is my best guess of something that's going, you're going to be able to tolerate and that's going to actually treat the symptoms that you're wanting to treat. Yeah. Oh, that I was going to ask you that is what do you think about general practitioners prescribing meds? Um, a lot of my clients do go to their primary person and they kind of get prescribed meds. But like you said, it's not a specialist. And so there are a lot of maybe it's a little easier insurance wise, but there's a lot of limitations to that approach. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it through the lens of being able to provide care to mental health treatment to the largest amount of people possible, I think it's great, right? And that primary care doctors should be prescribing these medications because they are the people that kind of, you know, have maybe relationships with these people as they've been their primary care doctor for a long time. Um, And so kind of just through the idea of just being able for people to access care, yes, (laughs) they should be able to prescribe these. And they do. Um, I always, I mean, I have complete respect for primary care doctors because they need to know so much about everything. Um, And so most of them do a great job prescribing these medications. Sometimes it's kind of the very small kind of... um, small things about why you might choose one medication or another that they might not be fully aware of. And I totally mm-hmm. respect that because they can't possibly know everything about everything, every single specialty. Um, right. And so look, if, if you are somebody who lives in a place where you could, can access psychiatric, psychiatric services, there's a lot of areas where people can access that. You know, of course, if you have the ability to see a specialist, it seems like a better idea. But if that's just not an option, then, you know, the the better option is to get the care through a primary care doctor. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. I think something that I've noticed lately, at least in L.A., is that it can be difficult to find psychiatrists, especially through insurance. And so more often than not, folks are just doing out-of-pocket options. Um, but it's quite expensive for some. So how how do we make it more accessible? I mean, is it going the general practitioner route? Is it a change that needs to happen in the field or with the systemic insurance issues? Like, how can we make this more accessible for someone to be like, yeah, I'd like to try it and not break the bank? 
Well, that's that's a very difficult question because it's kind of an issue that is a systemic issue. It has to totally. insurance reimbursement, you know, all these different things. Um, I think knowing where to look for the services that kind of fit within what your kind of your price range in terms of what your insurance. I, I think it's kind of sometimes it's hard to know how to how to find these these options. And I mean, I sometimes, sometimes it is this tricky thing is like someone has insurance, but the insurance doesn't cover a certain mental health coverage, or they just can't find a doctor within network. And that's, that's a kind of a systemic issue. Uh, Yes. And it is rampant. It is, is really rampant in the clients that I see. It is so frustrating. And that's a lot of reasons why a lot of therapists and, and psychiatrists don't take insurance because it's so frustrating sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say in full disclosure, I do not accept insurance. Um, and we work very hard when patients call our practice um, to kind of help them if they are not able to f- afford out-of-pocket services, help them figure out what their reimbursement might be through their insurance if they do decide to do that, if they have a PPO. And then also we yeah. try hard to give, you know, appropriate referrals. Um, and it seems like there's a quite a few of them um, in terms of options in Los Angeles and especially with telehealth expanding. Um, seems like it's loosened up a little bit, but it's still very difficult. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's. Do you think it's just an issue of like insurance companies still not prioritizing mental health stuff? Like, is it the mental health stigma or what what's going on with that? Or maybe you don't know, but it's yeah, it does seem to be systemic, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of things will have to change in order to kind of allow that to, you know, change in in a positive way. Yeah. And do you think there's any systemic things that the field of psychiatry like needs to that you would hope that gets worked on or things that maybe in your practice you try to do differently than all the psychiatrists out there? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I like to call myself a collaborative psychiatrist, which seems like mm-hmm. any physician should be collaborative. Right. And, and what does that mean? <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> and so really how that translates into how I work um, is that I want to be available to my clients and patients, you know, when they need me, I am available to them. I respond to calls and texts, you know, as quickly as I can, which is usually within the hour, because I know that when people do, you know, get started on medications, there's some anxiety and worry about it. And so I say, you know, we're doing this together. I'm here with you. And, you know, if there's any questions, I always tell my patients, if you think you should reach out, then reach out. It's that seems like an appropriate kind of internal gauge in terms of when to call your doctor. Um, And so I try to be very available, um, very, you know, um, accepting of questions that come my way, even outside of appointments. Um, I work a lot with clients who have therapists that they're already seeing. And I very much value that relationship that I have. Um, And I think of it as a treatment team. And so, you know, it's not that I'm treating my patient alone. Most of the time, um, there's a therapist who sees them much more frequently. And so I always want to hear from that therapist. A lot of therapists are a little hesitant to kind of be like, hey, this is going on with their medication. What do you like? I don't want to step on your toes. But what do you think? Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, no, please tell me what you're thinking. You know, you 
You yeah. do know things about medications and you know things about this patient and it's really helpful information. Um, I love that you're open to that. I can say I've, I've been lucky to work with a lot of great psychiatrists and there are definitely some who won't, who don't want to collaborate, who won't call you back or don't have the time. Um, or they definitely c can take that approach of like, I'm in charge here and like you're kind of supplementary. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, some people haven't responded so open and willing to collaborate for sure. Right. And I, I mean, I, I don't assume I'm in charge if I don't see the patient as often as you do. Right. And so if mm. you, you know, much, you know, therapists know much more about the yeah. patient's internal life and what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis than I ever would. Um, I mean, shoot, I might feel that way if I had to go through med school of like, look, I don't know. <laughs> for all this yeah well it, I think it makes my job easier you know it it in the end yeah. leads to better outcomes and so makes well yeah and you're you're the kind of psychiatrist I would want to co collaborate with as someone who wanted to collaborate yeah. <laughs> I think some of the I would love to go over some of the other like resistance I get from folks because I imagine people listening have maybe experienced some of these themselves but one resistance piece that I get from clients is well I have to be on meds forever like if I decide to start taking this, am I stuck? Am I going to be on this forever? Is there any, I've heard it's hard to get off of them. Um, what, what's that about? Yeah. Okay. That's a very good question because I answer that question multiple times. <laughs> All day, every day. And if a patient I'm seeing forgets to ask that question, I say, you know, a lot of people ask me this and they say, oh yeah, you know, I, for I, I forgot to ask that question. It's a very, very common question and a very reasonable one. Okay. So the general answer is it is, it is what you want it to be. And so let's say, well, I'll kind of go over maybe how I might approach a patient asking this. So let's say somebody who's anxious, who's been anxious their entire life and feels a little bit more anxious now. And really at this point says they want to try something to kind of help. It's kind of really infringing on their ability to focus at work, get things done, family life, stuff like yeah. that. So I start them on a medication and best case scenario, their anxiety dramatically decreases. Not only does that acute anxiety of like, just it feels like it's a little bit more inflamed than usual get better, yeah. but they say, but these other little things that I have always lived with, right? Feeling just kind of pressed for time, feeling anxious while I'm driving, that sort of thing. It's just so much better, right? Yeah. And so my discussion with that person is like, look, we can try this medication. I do want people, assuming they can tolerate it and it's helping them, I would like them to stay on medication for at least three months. So that's kind of my general rule of, you know, if it's not that you get better, to really see and let it sit, let it sink in. Yeah. It's not like it's an antibiotic that you take it for a course of 10 days and it's, it, you know, removes the infection and then you're off and right. you're fine. Right. And so right. let's say you've had this kind of low grade anxiety for a very long time. And then this exacerbation, acute exacerbation, put you on meds, you feel better. If I pull you off of those meds too soon, that anxiety is going to come right back. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, this idea that these episodes of anxiety, episodes of depression, sometimes they're, um, you know, they're 
they're cyclical in a way. And so what we're doing, this kind of very simply, this idea is that if you are depressed or anxious, you have low levels of serotonin. And what we do with a lot of these medications, which typically are the SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, is they hook onto a receptor in your brain to trick your brain to create more of your own natural serotonin. And so in a way, it's just kind of helping you replenish the serotonin that's kind of low for some reason during this episode. And so the idea about this you should actually be six months, but I say, you know, three months, let's, let's commit to three months and see how it goes is this idea that in three months, your body is not going to be out of that cycle yet. The typical cycle lasts about six to 12 months. And so this idea this that's why we have this idea of, we want you to be on it for kind of a chunk of time. And then we can try to pull it back and see what happens after kind of a period of time has passed assuming that your kind of body is kind of moving out of that cycle already and it's just kind of back to creating its own levels of its natural serotonin and so this idea that you know we can wait a few months try to pull it back slowly and if you're doing well great but the idea of this person who's always been kind of anxious right they return to their kind of they're not in that like super heightened anxiety level but they go off meds they're like Oh, I'm back to that kind of old level of anxiety and maybe that's okay. Right. Maybe it's worth it because they don't want to be on medications mm-hmm. or like, I just wanted it for that time when I was doing it was right. really hard. Right. Really hard. Uh, and that's yeah. a personal choice. Yeah. I do think that's, that's probably a big thing that I see with my clients. And I don't know if you see this as much because maybe once they get to you, they're more open to be starting to take meds, but shoot, if we've been living 20 plus years with this piece of ourselves that shows up this anxiety this depression there's a saying i like that it might be shit but at least it's warm it's like you know you're familiar with this uh discomfort and so a lot of folks that i see are like well who would i be without this anxiety and it feels so threatening to their survival to get rid of it because they're like well this has been keeping me alive for so long how could i like i it's uncomfortable i don't want to have it but i can't fathom my life without holding on to this. Right. And I talk to people a lot about that, this idea that there is something yeah. good about people's anxiety sometimes, right? It's probably yeah. in some ways for somebody who has anxiety around work, right? And that anxiety makes them be very perfectionistic about their work product, the end product, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way, yeah. you can see how that actually has allowed them to be successful. Um, and, right. you know, it's interesting, the kind of the typical case is when someone has kind of reached a point in their career where, yes, that's that anxiety has served, the, served them quite well. But now it mm-hmm. feels like it's that it's too much noise. Right. It's getting to the point where it's actually more detrimental than it is positive. And maybe also they're yeah. like, I'm just sick of feeling this way. I don't like the way that feels. Right. You know, and so this idea of okay, if you, there are ways to treat anxiety. I mean, therapy is an incredibly effective tool for anxiety. Medications is one of the tools that you could use for anxiety. You can do, you know, there are different options for people. One concern is that people might lose their personality or feel like they're kind of numb on medications. And that can happen. Oftentimes that's maybe when the medication is higher than it needs to be. It's almost the medication doing more kind of overshooting its initial role, right? Because part of the idea about going on medications, they do, people do want to feel a little numb to their anxiety, right? And so it's kind of that sweet spot of kind of that dose that really does that without making you feel overly numb in other ways. Um, And we just, you know, then you just go down or you try another option, right? So it's not that you're going to be stuck at some medication of like, oh, I'm like inherently 
inherently change and I have to be on this. Oftentimes, I mean, the point is to find where you feel really balanced, right? Yeah. I think folks are uh, report feeling worried that they'll get that way and then they won't know. And then it's like they, then they will be stuck there or something. Yeah. And I think that's where it's really helpful when someone's also seen a therapist um, that they can really explore that with them in terms of, you know, am I different? I, I think that's where the therapist role is actually incredibly helpful. Right. Totally. Um, so uh, talking about like how it makes folks feel, I mean, it, it's, I, it would be ideal. Like you said, if you, you go to a psychiatrist, you take the meds, it gives you this relief. Awesome. And for some, there can be side effects. So, uh, you know, something that clients are often coming to me with, or at least if they have started medication or maybe they've already been on it are sexual side effects. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about those and, and how that happens and what can be done. Because it's like, it's tough, right? Because if you're really anxious and really depressed, you're probably not really wanting to have a lot of sex or you're not enjoying it or it's not pleasurable. But then you get on this medication, may help with your anxiety and depression, but for some, you still don't want to have sex. So yeah, what do we, what do we do with that? Yeah, so I spend a lot of my day talking about this exact issue. Which is great that you even do because there are a lot of psychiatrists I know who don't talk about sex at all. And for someone first time on meds, they're like, they're not sure what's going on. They think there's something wrong with them. Right. I am excited to welcome back Manscaped as one of our sponsors this week. Don't let the name fool you. These products work well with all genders and genitals. Go to manscaped.com now for 20% off and free shipping with the code S and S. Try out the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Genital Deodorant, and for that little extra je ne sais quoi, the Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts, Performance Boxer Briefs, and the Shed Travel Bag. I'm a big fan personally of trimmed. I find it a lot better and easier than shaving old school and cheaper and less painful than waxing and lasering. It's so quick and easy and the trimmers have these great light features attached so you can see better while you're trimming. Get creative this fall and start sculpting those pumpkins and skulls into your pubic hair with that 20% off and free shipping with the discount code S&S at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code S-A-N-D-S at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D dot com. Thank you, Manscaped. And trimmed or not, if you've tuned in before, you know I love my Satisfier tools and vibrators. This episode is sponsored in part by Satisfier. Satisfier is offering you listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. In this episode, we are always talking about ways to practice better self-care and self-esteem and all of that and just better mental health and self-care overall. And while Satisfier is obviously not the same as a medication, we talked about other ways that, you know, you can really practice and see what your kind of desire levels are and how you can kind of get better in touch with yourself, uh, medication or not. And so honestly, I've, I've been in this field over 10 years and these devices have really changed the game for me uh, in terms of the pleasure they provide. I've learned new things about myself, what I like, what my body is capable of. And Satisfier makes really beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting edge technology at pretty affordable prices. 
Their new line of products is Bluetooth enabled and pairs with their Satisfier Connect app. So you can connect your device to your Android, Apple, and iWatch to control it yourself or have someone else control your device, check your battery life, and a lot more. My new favorite is called the Dual Pulse, Dual, Dual Pleasure, excuse me, which features internal stimulation and air pulse technology, which is like that suckling feeling. If you haven't tried it yet, you must. Satisfier again is offering listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter code S&S30 at checkout. Again, if you're looking for one of your new favorite, hopefully new favorite devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use code S&S30 for 30% off. Now back to the episode. So when I talk with somebody and sometimes people bring it up first thing, they're like, I, I think I need to go on medication, but I don't want sexual side effects. Right. Other time people are, don't bring it up. And I bring it up because if I don't bring it up, then they may not bring it up if it's happened. So of course it's something to kind of put out there in terms of when we're talking about sexual side effects, the most common sexual side effects are from the SSRIs. Those are the medications like Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, Celexa, Paxil, those kind of that cluster of medications that are used quite often mm -hmm. because they're effective for anxiety and depression. And so they're very commonly used. In about 30 to 40% of people that take these medications, they do experience sexual side effects. So that's huge. And probably the most common reason why people go off of these medications. But then it's also important to talk about what, what are the sexual side effects, right? And so the two big ones that I talk about, low libido, so just delayed, like low libido, so lower interest, right? Lower sex drive. And then another one is delayed orgasm. So kind of a more physiological kind of process, right? And so I make sure people know that everybody who I start on medication, I make sure they all know that. And you know, I, ha I have this discussion, kind of a frank discussion with them, right? So sometimes if we're like, look, your depression or anxiety is so severe, we need to treat that. We need to treat it. And this is the standard of care or kind of the, the, the most appropriate choice, right? In terms of mm -hmm. the symptoms that you're talking about. And I often say, yeah. look, a lot of times people say that, like you had mentioned, if you're really depressed, really anxious, you already have a low libido, probably not all the time, but oftentimes, you know, lower libido goes with delay or goes with depression, goes with anxiety. You're just not thinking about sex. And so, or thinking about it so much to where you can't enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes people are like, well, it can't get much worse. <laughs> So I might as well start a medication because I do want to feel like less anxious. I want to feel less depressed. And I tell people, I'm like, yep, it seems reasonable, but just know you're going to, when you start feeling better, that sexual functioning is going to lag. And you might say, Ooh, you know, I'm feeling like everything feels better. I'm feeling more energetic. I'm feeling more motivated, but where's my sex drive. Right. And mm -hmm. so I often say, you know, it's not, it's often like a delayed side effect that you start noticing after you notice feeling better because you kind of would assume that that sexual functioning is getting, would get better when you feel better. Right. Right. Um, right. But I also tell people, I'm like, look, it's 34 to 40% of people too. It's not a hundred percent. And so it maybe does make sense to try it and see. And if we notice that that's an issue, then there are things that we can do about it. Um, one thing we can do, it's, 
you know, it's likely dose dependent. And so this idea that maybe we can try to go down on the dose if we need, if we, you can tolerate that, right? If you can have similar anxiety and depression relief without, you know, as high of a dose, maybe you can decrease the dose. We can always try a different medication. There are other medications that you can use for depression and anxiety that don't cause sexual side effects. Um, there might be reasons why you may or may not want to use those. So it gets a little complex, but you know, there's always alternatives. Um, sometimes people do add other medications to then help counteract the effects of the SSRIs in terms of sexual side effects. Because like you said, I feel better on these medications. I like the way I'm feeling, except for this kind of sexual function piece of things. Right. Yes. And so if you were to add a different one on, um, how does it how does it interact with the meds? Like, what's happening to to make it better? For example, like someone might be on Prozac, but then their psychiatrist will add something like Welbutrin. Um, I'm not going to begin to know why. <laughs> it just happens. It happens, and with a lot in psychiatry, it's kind of trial and error. And then we're like, "Oh, this works! All right, let's start using it." But like you had mentioned, often yeah. um, with SSRIs, Wellbutrin is added, and it might help um, help not 100% reverse the sexual side effects, but make a significant impact yeah. in that. Um, like I will say though, like this needs to be done with with a prescriber to kind of discuss the risks of, and benefits of adding something in because Wellbutrin has its own risks right. associated with it. And so of course it's right. something that you, you know, should always do kind of under the supervision though of a physician. And do you ever recommend or have you seen any good shifts in more um, holistic medicine. Like there are folks who will take herbal supplements or claim that that's been really helpful. Um, I know for me in my experience, um, as someone who has taken an SSRI at a point in my life, it seemed to plateau over time. So at the beginning, there was maybe some noticeable sexual side effects up for a little bit, and then it seemed to like normalize. So I don't know if that happens for others naturally, but like, what are some supplements you might suggest? So you know, there aren't a lot of great options. I am very curious about um, kind of CBD products, um, kind of topical mm-hmm. products um, that might be helpful. Um, there isn't a lot of research or data um, that kind of supports that use, but I'm curious about it. Um, and so oftentimes I do, some of my patients do try some CBD oils and that could be something that could be helpful. Um Beyond that, there there aren't a lot, honestly, um, in terms of... Yeah, I think the ones I've heard are like, what is it, like ashwagandha or um, chava or whatever, like things like that, like uh, more over-the-counter herbal supplements. Yeah, I mean, people do try those. There's not a lot of da- data to support it, but, you know, people yeah. do try those. And I would suggest talking to you know, if you're having sexual side effects, talk to your psychiatrist about it. But yeah, I mean, I have people try those um, with, you know, mixed, mixed results. And I don't know if you've talked about this on your podcast or in your practice, but um, what are we seeing in terms of like this shift towards alternative non-pharmaceutical stuff, whether that be ketamine, um, psilocybin, things like that. Is that something that you ever encourage folks to do or is that starting to become more normal in practice? Yeah. So this is kind of the big new thing um, in psychiatry, um, use of these types of um, alternative treatments. Um, Recently, there's some 
data that has come out that has been very positive um, in promoting those uses um, or those medications for things like PTSD, um, use for depression. Um, so we're right there. It's not there yet in terms of widespread use. I think there still needs to be quite a bit more research, um, before, you know, it becomes more mainstream. Um, but it's coming, (laughs) it's definitely coming. Um, and you know, I think, yeah, we're at a a point, it's kind of an exciting time to be a psychiatrist because I think there's going to be a lot of shifts in the field. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to be really careful with it um, and kind of have a little bit of better understanding of, you know, when it could be actually harmful. Um, and mm-hmm. so in my practice, um, I definitely I do not prescribe those medications um, in my practice. Yeah, well, especially because they're not all legal right now. So, <laughs> But the things like ketamine, I mean, is is the yeah. treatment that's out there. People go to ketamine clinics. Um, I think it's really tricky because there's this, you know, this fine line between, you know, people who have history of substance abuse and use of ketamine. And it's, it's very tricky. Mm -hmm. I I approach it with an open mind um, and I'm curious about it and I'm learning about it right now. um, And I'm still trying to figure out kind of how I'm going to integrate that into my practice. Um, But I think I, I don't feel comfortable just yet with it. Um, but I think, you know, over time, I think that's going to change. I mean, I think there's some good data, but I also don't know just because there's positive data doesn't mean we're going to kind of like rush to using it all always. Right. I I think we need a little bit more data to kind of understand like, okay, where are, where is appropriate use? When is this contraindicated? We'll get there though. And I think we'll, you know, we'll know more as time goes on. Right. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I think a lot of people are saying a lot of positive things and there's not enough research to, to make it like clinically significant yet. Um, so that's, uh, that's a tough one. Cause I do, and this is not a recommendation. I'm not your therapist. Dr. McNary is not your psychiatrist. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, cause I do know a lot of folks who are doing the mushroom psilocybin route to get off of antidepressants to kind of minimize any side effects that they experience with that and like do instead. So it seems like it's all of this is kind of really coming out and turning a corner. I'll be I'll be curious to see how it shifts your practice. We'll have to reconvene when it when there's more. Yeah, it'll it yeah, I'm interested in it, but we also don't know like do what does long-term use look like, right? Um how long is the effect? Um how you know, how is it mm-hmm. are you going to, you know, have sustained effect from these substances so all things we don't know and what are the answer to some of those for some of these common anti-anxiety and anti-depression medications like long-term use stuff are there any considerations um, for things to be aware of well oh just in terms of long-term health risks associated with yeah yeah like taking like an ssri with these sexual side effects like are there long-term use issues? Well, the simple answer is there are no known negative long-term health consequences associated with long-term use of SSRIs. So, I mean, but that, think about like quality of life things. So if you're taking Lexapro for 20 years and you have sexual side effects, that's not necessarily 
I mean, it's a quality of life impact, right? And so what does that look like? Mm -hmm. I think it's something, you know, people have to think about in terms of what they want. It's also interesting people who have started these medications at a very young age, right? And Mm -hmm. they don't really know what they're you know, baseline sexual functioning could be off of these medications. And so it's really tricky. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, the sexual side effects are, are, it's, it's an unfortunate side effect of these medications that are very helpful for other things. So I spend a lot of time talking about that because it is this cost benefit, like risk benefit analysis yeah. a lot. And it's unfortunate. I wish I could just give these medications and it's like, great, you're good. You're feeling good. And we don't have to worry about this other piece of it, but often it is a major concern. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying that there's not much at this point that we can do if that comes up. It's kind of this decision of like lessening the meds, going off the meds, staying on them and and accepting this and figuring out other ways, but that this is still kind of like a, a sticking point for a lot of patients. But I mean, yes, that's, that's true. Um, but with that said, I mean, with my clients, we, you know, we, we always try to make it better. Right. And so we're always trying to perfect kind of the quality of life that someone has. And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of tricky and it's, it, I, and it really depends on the individual and what they want to do, but, you know, we're always trying to make it better. Right. And so if, there's an issue with a side effect. I'm always trying to, to find alternatives, to find strategies, to really kind of, you know, improve that quality of kind of sexual life for them. And it sounds like then for folks listening, that's something maybe I would invite people to look for in a psychiatrist is someone who is willing to, to talk about this topic, to work through that, to see if there are, you know, what solutions we can come up with um, as opposed to like, yeah, there's sexual side effects, end of discussion. Right. Are there other things that you would want folks to know about some of these sexual side effects? Um, yeah. in in their considerations uh, for treatment or in finding a psychiatrist. Well, I mean, I think the other discussion is sexual functioning is multifactorial, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it's true. There are clear cases where the medication is exactly what's causing the problem, right? Yeah. But other times it's just not that straightforward, right? And so, you know, there there is conflict in a relationship and you know, someone, yes, is feeling better from their medications. They're feeling less anxious maybe, but you know, they're like, Oh, it must be the medication because I'm not interested in having sex with my partner. But other, you know, you kind of need to know the whole story. Right. And, (laughs) but I also hate my partner. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, I, I, another way, another kind of approach I have is, yeah, of course, I'm not denying that these medications don't, I mean, of course they cause sexual side effects, but what else is going on? Right. And, you know, so you're on this medication, maybe it's really helping for some reason, it doesn't feel like there are other great options, but that may not be true, but let's say that's the case. Right. And this other discussion of like, well, how can we work around it? Right. How can, like, what are other things that might be impacting your sexual functioning? Right. And is there ways, are there ways to make that better? 
Totally. I would say that's the thing that I focus on, you know, in my, with my sex therapy clients is like you said, looking at the bigger picture, what, what else is going on? How's your relationship? How, how is your life now that you don't have this anxiety or depression part as big of a part of it? And, and I think it's an opportunity to learn to get kind of reintroduced to your desire and libido and not just think it's like gone. Like there are things to do behaviorally and relationally to work on this, whether it be redefining what sex is or learning about responsive versus spontaneous desire and how you can kind of add some gas or flame to your desire and libido, how you can connect. Um, So I, I do think it's not the end of the world and there are things behaviorally and relationally um, to be done that I think people should be trying to strive for regardless of taking medication. But just these things to kind of redefine and expand our definition of sex, of intimacy, of pleasure, um, and not make it so, um, I don't know, so like small-minded of like what good sex looks like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like there's this creativity associated with it, right? So it's like, all right, this yeah. is something that, you know, unfortunately it might be making this a little bit harder, but I, I love that, this idea of kind of how do, how can we think about other strategies to, you know, kind of help improve your sexual life? Yeah. I'll just give one strategy now for listeners. Um, and if you've listened to the podcast before, you might have heard this resource. Um, but I'm a big fan of uh, an author named Emily Nagoski. She was on the podcast. She has a great book called Come As You Are. Um, and another great one called Burnout, which I think all of us should read <laughs> right now, given the uh, pandemic times. Um, but she has a lot of great worksheets on her website that are a part of this book, Come As You Are. And one of them is about sexy contexts. And so it really helps folks kind of put in perspective, basically has you think of a time when the sexual connection was really pleasurable and enjoyable and when you were really able to to connect uh, with that person and kind of has you really take a look at like what was it about this that was exciting to me was it because it was a new partner was it because we were doing it in this way was it because this was like the context or we had dinner before and felt really connected um, and sort of just revisiting that and seeing well how can I how can I integrate this into my current sexual experiences? But also like, how can I shift this? Is there anything now that does excite me? Um, But I think that's scary for a lot of folks if they haven't had to do this work maybe before medication or ever. And now they're like, oh, I have to like think about it. And it's it's a scary topic for some people. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Before we wrap up, are there any other like misnomers, not misnomers, but like assumptions around psychiatrists or medication that you would love to help people um, know so that they can maybe be open to this as a treatment possibility? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. I I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, a lot of people come to me and it must, I'm, I know it is hard to, see somebody as now that a lot of appointments are over video too, to kind of be like, I don't really know you, but I have to tell you everything about me. Um, and oftentimes at the end of my appointments, patients are like, I was really nervous about meeting you, but it was so much easier than I thought. And, you know, it, it was kind of a more positive, easy, easier process that they, than they had kind of thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, yeah. you know, we're not scary people and, 
Um, you know, it's all about just kind of, it's not about making you do something you don't want to do. It's really kind of meeting your where you're at and kind of having the sense of, you know, how can, how can I help you? What are some tools that yeah. I know about and what, what do you want to know about them? And let me, I'd love to educate you about them so you can figure out if that's something that you want to pursue. Um, and like yeah. this idea of your, it's going to be your choice, your decision, what you want to do. I'll be here to kind of guide you through it. Um, but it's really kind of, it's your, your process. And if you if you're listening and you haven't had that experience with a psychiatrist, I know it can be tough if you're maybe going through insurance, but it's kind of like dating, like find somebody who does have the approach that that works for you. Like if, you know, Dr. McNary's approach sounds better than experiences you've had, go to Cal Psychiatry or go to, you know, look around, date date around a little bit. I know it's a I know it can feel like an expensive investment, but like oh, it's worth it. Like how much money do we spend on other things that maybe aren't for our quality of life? Yeah. And I think it's helpful if you were seeing a therapist, maybe the therapist has some ideas of psychiatrists that might work well with you, kind of understand, you know, your kind of how you approach right. things. And hopefully they'll know a few different psychiatrists and be like, hey, this might, one might work better than the other. But I know there yeah. are limitations. I, I understand that. Okay, so you're not scary. You're not scary. Come, come in to collaborate. <laughs> right. And also this idea of you should be totally honest and upfront with any mental health provider that you have, right? And so if some if they said something that you kind of didn't sit well with you, or you don't agree with, then tell them, right? Oftentimes, you know, I have patients I see, and I ask them how therapy is going. And they say something about therapy. And I'm like, well, have you mentioned that to your therapist? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't really feel comfortable. And I think it's about educating people that, you know, they should be advocates for their mental health treatment. And if something's going on in their treatment that they feel like you know, they don't like the approach, it's just not what works for them. They should be open about it. Yeah. I think that's scary for some of my clients who are part of like a minority sexuality population. So whether that be LGBT, um, kinky, non-monogamous, um, so that I think that can be scary because a lot of them assume that their practitioner might not have knowledge about that stuff, which some don't. Um, but if you, yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's like if you do bring that stuff up with your practitioner and they're not willing to hear you and work with you on that, then maybe a different practitioner. Yeah. Well, Dr. McNary, thank you so much. I mean, I'm a... I'm a fan of all things that, that work, but I'm definitely think medication can be great and helpful for some folks. So um, how can people get in touch, potentially hire you um, and check out Cal Psychiatry and, and all of that? Yeah. So the easiest way is just to go to our website, um, calpsychiatry.com, all one word. Um, but we only see people within the, this California residence at this point. So I don't know if there are people who are listening outside of California, but um, you know, we're always happy to give referrals as well. And so, you know, we always encourage people to reach out. And, you know, if some reason, you know, you're not in the state of California, we can maybe try to help with some referrals. Or um, if you're, we like I said, we don't accept insurance, but if you really wanted to, to go with an insurance, we we have some, you know, information of um, groups that we often like to work with that might be good fits for you. So I always recommend people just to reach out if they have questions about, you know, looking for care and we can help with that.
Yes, and just to reiterate your earlier point, just reaching out doesn't mean that you are stuck, that you have to take medication, that this is the psychiatrist for you, but it sounds like just making that first call to see what your options are. If you're open enough to do that, then that could be a, a good start. Um, and thank you so much for joining me. Again, if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Um, and please don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check out the advertisers. Uh, if you support the advertisers, it supports the podcast. Um, so thank you so much and talk to you next week. Scholars.